I'm Elizabeth Stark, and, and this, this is Story, Story Maker Maker Show. Show. And today on Story Makers, what's going on? We are going to talk about growing as a writer or brain plasticity and other approaches to morphing into your best self. Bum, bum, bum. Or something like that. Yeah. All right. But first, what are you working on? I am closing in on the end uh, videos for our book in a year program. So exciting. So just so these are videos, you made a version of them like five years ago Mm -hmm. or something, and Mm -hmm. now you've revamped them. Mm -hmm. We've added a lot of examples Mm -hmm. and you've done a whole sort of keynote presentation. Yeah, I am really, really getting down with keynote you are animating things Mm -hmm. oh it's so fun anyway so it's a really great approach i'm feeling excited about it yeah and i think um we're getting some good feedback from folks about yeah enjoying this and people who've done it more than once are excited Mm -hmm. to have this new additional information and yeah so that's great does it feel creative to you i guess so I think one of the things is that's true is that each time I do it, I I actually like I'll lay out the framework for it and then I run through what I think I'm gonna pre- present, and then I go back and I do it again because I there's something that it triggers. So I, yeah. like when I'm in that moment, I was like, oh, well, this piece might be important. So then I'll go back and I'll do it again. So I'll actually do you add a do add a slide or I'll add a slide or I'll you know edit it in some way, and then. Um, you know, by the time I record it, I've been through it a few times, and I'm sure there's still something that I'm missing when I send it out. But well, it's I mean, an, that's, it's, it's like nothing's a really ever process. done, yeah. right? That's just you. Were, and this is the thing. I mean, and what's been exciting about the whole about teaching the class and redoing the videos is having some new issues come up, getting mm-hmm. to a new edge for us where we're asking certain kinds of questions Absolutely. about, especially as we're using kind of film techniques that come from stagecraft and playwriting and all of that but we're looking at prose right mm-hmm. and so then kind of what are the equivalents and what are the differences and what can each medium do and it's kind of fun to, yeah. to get more nuanced about that what are you working on um well i'm still in waiting mode but um but i'm sort of taking the opportunity well theoretically in the week in the days ahead to kind of revisit some of the questions and finer points of a few things, including um, I have a deadline to pass off my novella to a couple of wonderful readers. Um, So that's good. Deadlines are just Mm. terrifically helpful. And it means that before I pass it off to them, there are a few things I just know I need to do because in the writing of it, a few things came out sort of logistically wrong. They're, they're kind of simple. They're things like, you know, because it changes points of view. And so there are things like this person sees that person walk out in their scene, Mm -hmm. but in a later scene, it, like that person would have had to walk out at a different moment, right? And mm-hmm. so I have to, so it's sort of like, oh, it's a little bit of a headache to fix right. those kind of things. They're not huge or anything. But anyway, mm-hmm. so that. Um, and then I just finished reading someone's manuscript that I really loved. So that was fun. It's fun to be in love with a book, right? Mm-hmm. To remember what this is all about. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. All right. So, you're pretty charged up about brain plasticity. What was interesting is you were even talking about what we're working on. Like, we are on a growth model, right? So we're working on um, our 
projects, but at the same time, you know, you really did start going down the whole pathway of, look, we're asking questions that we don't have the answers to and, and that sort of thing. I find that I always teach best when I'm on my own edge. Mm-hmm. I, it's funny, right? Because you'd think, oh, the you know, and there's certain things I know and I can teach and pull them out and they're kind of, you know, my little shticks that I right. now have said over and over again that I think are valuable or I wouldn't keep saying them, but you know, I love thinking on my feet and I love thinking in conversation. I mean, one of the ways I set up craft class is that I, someone asks a question, I put out, you know, pull out examples and put out some theories, look at what I notice about the craft. And then in engaging with it and trying their own, the students present additional examples, right? right. That they're creating right there on the spur of the moment. And the conversation then becomes deeper and fuller what what is actually happening here. And I learn and then I articulate what I'm learning and we all, it's just very, that is my most exciting way of teaching. Well, what's interesting is that um, there's a notion sometimes, well, I'm going to back up. Okay. When our kids were in preschool, I think this is when we were introduced to Carol Black's work through the book Mindset. Yes. And... If you haven't read it, really, it's so brilliant. It's a wonderful book. It's and so she worked so hard on it. <laughs> she worked so hard she, on it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a little in joke to yes. the mindset so, so, approach. And it's really impacted a lot of the conversations people have in education. Um, and Joe Bowler, who teaches uh, in the education department and, and focuses on mathematics, at Stanford also, also at Stanford, has recently just come out with a book. And what's that book called? It'll be in the show notes. It's got too many words in it. Ooh, more uh, than more than five or something. No, it's three. <laughs> um, I just can't remember what it was. But the idea is really that she's kind of building off of Dweck's work and looking specifically. Since her focus is education in a particular way, she's really looking at that. Whereas I think Dweck was looking at education, but it was, it was really taken up, certainly in Berkeley, mm-hmm. in parenting circles. And so, you know, people were like, oh, you're such a good child. And, you know, someone would come up and smack them and say, you're ruining your child. Don't compliment them. There were, you know, many conversations about. Mm-hmm. Lots of violence you, in the playgrounds of Berkeley. Whether or not you should compliment your three-year-old while you were breastfeeding. But anyway. <laughs> or your seven-year-old. Or your seven-year-old, depending. So anyway, so the notions that she had were basically this idea of a fixed mindset, which would be there are people who are true artists and, you know, those are those who can and those who can't. It's a fixed mindset. Right, right, right. right. So, I, I just want to say that when we read the book, I was like, oh, no. I have a fixed mindset and, you know, grow, people who have a growth mindset are better off and I'm stuck here. Right? <laughs> and then it dawned on me that I could change. Yes. Um, and so and so I just kind of wanted to go back to some of those notions and then then the underlying... Which ones? Well, just talking about mindset a little bit mm-hmm. and, and where the phrase brain plasticity comes from. And how it pertains to writers and filmmakers and other story makers. Is that our brains do just change all the time. They're not static. And we can actually improve things that we feel like we're not as good as we would like to be at, right? We all kind of know that. But then we also sort of harbor these underlying beliefs about, 
well, I can't be that person. I can't be that kind of person. I can't be uh, the genius in mm. this category. Mm. Um, the other thing I will say is that I think there, there, sadly, there comes to be this shame, like when you're of like, why am I learning this so late now? And, mm-hmm. you know, like, why didn't I learn this earlier? And, and it's like, well, do I want to keep learning and growing? Because then I'm going to keep learning things I didn't learn before. <laughs> or I could just be static and stop learning. And then I won't right. be learning new things I didn't learn when I was younger. Right. But there's that kind of right. little new problem. Um, <laughs> so the, just to, you know, kind of go to sort of the intersection between these two books. So Joe Bowler keeps bringing back studies that are, you know, looking at the way our brains function and work. And, um, you know, I don't remember the names of all the studies, so that's why we're (laughs) going to link to the books. But one of the studies looked at students who were identified as having dyscalculia, right, which is... uh, a great character name. But it's it, it's a learning challenge that makes it harder for certain folks to um, do math, right. right? And during, you know, when they were doing a study, during that study, they had students who were identified with having dyscalculia. Uh, I think they did an MRI while they were studying. And what they found from a control group was that Wait, did they have to lie in the MRI machine studying exactly yeah. how they did it and I think honest, they've got really great equipment now I think that's I know it's basically Star just, Trek yeah. at Stanford Medical yeah. and up here in Sonoma County it's you know <laughs> now Dr. Watson but anyway <laughs> nothing wrong with Dr. Watson the larger point being that the students who had this particular kind of challenge, it wasn't that the brain wasn't firing. It was firing too much. Mm. So what they found was that students who didn't have dyscalculia had more uh, focused firing, but the firing in the kids who had dyscalculia was broader I have, across. I have like dysplotula. Right, like, like I have so many ideas about how something could be redone and re the different. You know what I mean? That's just mm-hmm. something in my own life. It's like, oh, overfiring. Yeah, and I think one of the things that's a little bit hard is I don't really know. Like, I don't think they experience it as having eight different answers mm-hmm. as a option. Right. What they found though is that they were firing a lot of different locations. So. The training... Different locations in the brain. Right. Interesting. And so the training, and they, um, so there's, a, you know, this is, like, I'm telling the worst joke ever, right <laughs> And they said, and it was... That's funny. all right. We're, let's just talk about but what mattered they, to you about it in terms so of... So what yeah. ultimately happened is, is she also references a school for children who have particular kinds of learning challenges, and they do brain training. And the idea is actually that these kids learn how to focus their brain so that the part that is firing that isn't really needed for the activity they're engaging in learns not to light up. Mm. Brain training for writers. So the idea then is you move away from this static sense of what the brain can and can't do. And she has a wonderful thing breaking down sort of like, you know, gifted this which I was really hesitant to go with but she did a really good 
convincing job. Yes, yes, a very convincing job about giftedness and how there's a really strong correlation with this notion of giftedness and who gets to be identified in giftedness that way. and privilege, right? So, so that was really exciting. But the way that this, to me, feels exciting as a an artist is that the pieces of our experience that we have control over are are basically just our mindset in certain ways, right? We we can't really control what's going on in the market. We can be, we know that there are amazing and heroic people all throughout history who are not represented in history books, right? So there's things we can't control to a certain extent. But the notion that if you really take on the idea of brain plasticity and you break down writing into different skills, then you actually could become the writer of your dreams. And so it's not that you aren't. It's that there's a specific set of practices that you need to engage with to become that person. Right. And I find that thrilling because there's a lot of language about, you know, oh, beginner's mind and sort of the humility to learn and those different pieces. But there's a whole other piece which is about when people get good at something, there are physical changes that happen in their brain. Yeah. And those changes can be intentional. So that what you need to do, you can do. And nobody's brain is not capable. Yeah. I love it. So with regard to writing, I mean, I think this was just the thing I really wanted to explore is like, when we believe in a fixed mindset, at its simplest, in the simplest language, when we believe that there are geniuses and when we believe that there are only certain people who are gifted, when we They're believe talented. or talented, um, we undermine our own ability to stay engaged with the practices we need to be practicing to become those people who look like they're innate <laughs> geniuses. Yeah. That's great. What are the kinds of practice? Do you have any sense of what, pra- on a practical level, what the practices would be? For, okay, well, for like music, mm-hmm. there's, you basically engage with music. And I would argue that, you know, you read, you interpret, and, and, and you create music that you read if you're a musician, right? So there's a number of skills, but it starts with reading. Right. It's interesting because I was teaching the middle school kids um, in creative writing club for our kids school. And just some of them, you know, I've been teaching for a long time now and to watch the ones who are readers, how tremendously that has impacted their writing and strengthened mm-hmm. it. Right. Mm-hmm. That they're it's just really exciting to see. I mean, they're middle schoolers are kind of amazing because um, they have a growth mindset. I mean, they, or they, they definitely have an openness Mm -hmm. to, uh, they, they're not afraid. I'm sure that's like, it's barreling down toward them. This is like one of the ages I will actually say, this is one of the ages where we actually see that being pushed on kids. So if if you're experiencing kids who are uh, feeling 
still willing to take creative leaps, I think... It's our school. <laughs> well, it's a component. It's, it's, I do think it's the age, but I also think having a space where making mistakes is something that's celebrated is awesome. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, it's exactly that. Like, some of those students, but they're readers. But as readers, like, what are the actions? So, basically, it's, it's, so we talk about brain circuits... And it's not just the space. There's this thing called myelin. And myelin actually helps you insulate the nerve relationships. So as you get better at something, you're actually thickening the myelin. And so the myelin makes it so that those circuits fire more effectively and more efficiently. I just want to say Pixar movie, myelin is a character. It's, instead of the emotions, <laughs> it's going to be this growth mindset, right? right? I yeah. want you to write it. Okay. Um, so that you have these things so that the people who have done those practice hours and this was the other thing and we know this and we hear this all the time but it's so fun to really engage with the science behind it so you know that as you're building that myelin uh, insulation around the nerves and, and, and just improving the speed with which the that particular circuit fires um, you are kind of moving into a place where this is where things start becoming subconscious, right? It can move so quickly that you don't, aren't even aware mm -hmm. of those things. So then when you're looking at something like writing, you can actually say, what are the things that are the things I want to get better at? And then you look for the things that you feel maybe even most ashamed of, you struggle mm -hmm. with, right? Because then it turns out, and this is the kicker, Struggle is a key component to actually getting better. This is a little bit like anti-fragility. Mm -hmm. This, right, the whole this, which is a title of a book that I've been excited about, though I haven't finished reading it. Um, right, that 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 it's this the the struggle is part of the learning. So it's not just you can survive it, but you have to go through it. It's part mm -hmm. of how you get stronger. And in learning, if you don't struggle it actually causes your brain to do more to hold on to the information so if it's easy for you to do math when you're young you actually aren't necessarily going to hold on to that uh, if you don't find your challenge edge yeah so the challenge edge then becomes a baseline that's not a nice to have <laughs> right it's a need to have and so as an artist, what's your challenge line? And then how how do you get to the mindset that where you sit down and it's scary and it feels edgy and you're not sure what's going to happen or if you're up for the task or whatever and you go, okay, good, that's the place to be. Right. Well, I mean, that's definitely a challenge. In this, in this book, it's kind of funny because um, in addition to Joe Bowler's book, I listened to another book called The Talent Code, and it shares a lot of overlap in the studies that they cite. Um, but what that author did was kind of travel around the world and look at places where you had phenomenal performers coming out. And one of the places was, uh, you know, Brazil, Brazilian soccer. Crazy, right? And they actually sort of traced it back to... Uh, the fact that there is a different game that they play as young people, which is has a smaller space, has fewer people in the space, and um, 
basically results in every player getting to touch the ball a lot more and a lot more often like a lot more often and so it's a faster game and it's a game where you're actually interacting making choices and doing things in a performance place repeatedly and so they find that oh once this game started then the whole brazilian teams you know like the the whole framework was that those those players were becoming better and better and so the whole brazilian national team Mm. becomes this amazing thing Mm. So there are places around the world where people are doing these things. And what Coyle was trying to do is what's happening in Brazil, what's happening in Russia, which is one of the places where some of the best tennis players in the world come from, what's happening uh, in places where, like in South Korea, you know, like in the 90s, there was maybe one woman on the Women's Professional Golf Association Tour, Mm -hmm. the WPGA Tour, and now there's something like 45. Mm -hmm. So what... What shifts? Feminism? (laughs) No. No. (laughs) It's not feminism. Uh, Because women were always allowed to be in the women's golf tournament. (laughs) They just didn't want to. Right. No, but it was, it was, so what he does definitely talk about is breaking down the skill sets that you're wanting to grow into smaller things that you struggle with. So his example that he and Joe Bowler both start with is a young girl learning how to play a particular piece of music and how she goes back in a particular way. And so she's not doing rote memorization. She's not doing like scales and scales and scales and scales. She's struggling with a complex bit of music that is probably a little bit above her skill set. And, you know, in six minutes, she goes from really like to she gets it. And so what they're just saying, what is that moment? And it's because of the struggle and it's because of the engagement, trying it on. It's even better to like struggle and get the wrong answer than it is to just try to reabsorb from a different source Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. generation yourself i have this idea so you know how we begin every storymakers podcast with what are you working on right maybe we should ask what are you struggling with Ooh, i like that and we are going to have some interviews coming up which is very exciting we Mm -hmm. have a lot in our archives and we have um vanessa was coming um Mm -hmm. for the end of this month and um so anyway i'm excited about that and so we we can ask it of other people as well but it's something i've been trying to ask my students uh, not in that specific Mm -hmm. language because that's just kind of come up today but but no we have talked about things about learning and knowing where your edges or knowing what you're you know what you want to be working on so I've been trying to do that in my classes, but I really like that, right? And so mm. let me, let's, can we just ask that to, to, to yeah. wrap up our brain plasticity conversation is what are you struggling with and what, what, in what, if you reframe it, might be a very rich way right now. I'm actually, and so many things like our dog is barking outside. <laughs> um, I'm right now, it's so funny because the struggling thing Again, it also brings up my Buddhist thinking, right? Which is, struggling <laughs> doesn't mean suffering. Right. Right. So I... Depending on the judgment you put on it. Right. And so I'm endless... I mean, like right now, the things that I would really like to just explore and try on 
I want to build a solar oven, Ooh. but I feel nervous about, you know, wasting supplies. Mm. And I, there's a film contest that I want to enter, which is called Light It Up. And it's through Aperture. And you take a single location and you light it. And the truth is I've been wanting to kind of do a mannerist style approach to lighting a space. Mm. So here's a great you know, opportunity, and yet I'm like, I feel nervous to get started, right? Because I, I do have the fear of making a mistake. Like, I'm a human being who was brought up in, you know, the, the notion, like, of grades and all of that stuff. I have to say, this book really is changing my mind about a lot of stuff. But That's I'm very sort of exciting. struggling with just starting. I mean, that, honestly, mm-hmm. is probably the biggest struggle is just starting. But remember, it's okay to be struggling. Right, right. So, you know, but, but. It would be great to give yourself time to struggle. I actually, so I'm going to try to cite the person in the show notes because I don't, you know, I sort of, I got a newsletter from somebody and she recommended following another person. And when I looked at that on Twitter and when I looked at that person, she had quoted somebody and I, and that's the person I'm going to quote now. So I don't really know who it was, but I might be able to track it. But, um, that person was saying, if you have writer's block, it's really one of two things. And one is, um, that you're just scared it's going to be terrible, and mm-hmm. so you don't want to even begin. And the other is you really don't know what's going to happen next in this. Like, and this was sort of made me think about the planning stuff that we do. And you can go for a walk. I mean, do something where you're th- thinking, or you're even in diffuse mode, but not like, you know, go, right. don't don't go off onto the internet and go for a walk that way, right? Like, go wander, for a figure walk. out, brainstorm, whatever. So. Um, and then other people were joking, like, or three, it's that I, like, went down a rabbit hole or, you know. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so I'm just thinking of that when, you know, that that that, that fear of it being bad yeah. is huge. And it has to be bad sometimes, right? And, some, and that's why I love the writing badly deliberately. Exactly. Just try to be bad because then you never have to not you, write. Don't you sort of wish parenting was like that? <sighs> Which, what part? Try to be a bad parent? Yeah, I, just... I don't even have to try. <laughs> All I'm saying is that the parenting is just one of those things where it's like, you know, the stakes always feel so high. In some ways, though, it is that because you can't be like, you know what, today I'm just can already tell I'm going to do it badly. So I'm just not going to be here. Right. You just can't. So you have to be, you're badly parenting all the friggin' time. I know. But, but it's the same thing. It's yes. like, what if we had to write the way you have to parent? Because, like, no one else is going to do it and it has to happen. I mean, if we felt that level of demand, we would do tons of bad writing. Yeah. Like, there is so much bad parenting. So my, anyway, my struggle really is getting started. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I bet that there it's are. Not, no, But yeah. here's the thing I want to say. Like, we go down to the psychological place, but what if... It isn't psychological. What if it's that I don't have a myelinated circuit about starting, Mm. right? So then it's like, oh, well, this is how you start. I mean, the truth is there aren't huge differences in how you start something. And what kind of start? Start what? Like, I mean. Well, okay. So, for example, I want to do that um, solar oven. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I've. I've got some plans. I've got some wood. I don't have a table saw. <laughs> and my dad has a table saw, but it's a little bit warped and occasionally catches. So I don't want to use my dad's table saw. But then we know other really people have table saws. Yeah, so I can borrow someone's table saw. But, you know, there's a tool lending library. But I get stuck on little places like that. Right. And um, 
you know, I was like, well, we should get some chickens. Like, the truth is, we should get some chickens. And we're like, well, my dog's going to kill that them. Chicken, that's because Paul Louis loves his chickens. Oh, really? Oh, you didn't hear that? No. I, I, I thought I kind of didn't want to bring in your, your take on chickens, but... His chickens are named after the Golden Girls. Right, right. And he has, like, I mean, just deep love with them. So I thought that inspired you. Good, no. No. Uh, No. So, anyway, so it's that piece about, like, okay, at what point, like, maybe I should take the time that what are the, what's the moment that I get hooked uh, on not starting? Right? What's that that moment yeah. that makes it hard? And I bet that there's an action, like probably a regular consistent action of like, oh, this this feeling happens, then I trigger a different path, which is not giving up but going a different direction. Right. All right. What you what are you struggling with? What am I struggling with? Well, you know, interestingly, I'm very excited about kind of I don't know, reaching some kind of, it's, you know, it's the light at the end of the tunnel, which might be the oncoming train, but, um, <laughs> but, you know, I'm looking at this next project, right? So I have this novella that I wrote when my book was out when I was looking for agent and, um, I kind of love it. Right. So I reread it now it's been some time, but I reread it and I really like, I love what happened at the end. I, I don't know. I love it right now. And, um, because I've been through the 750 million drafts with this last book, I'm trying to figure out, I'm struggling with, you know, with what is my process? How do I, what do I, what is the sort of right way to interact with feedback? I mean, and right might be the wrong word, but how do I fruitfully interact with feedback where my displotula doesn't overwhelm, right? Oh, oh, you you don't like this or oh, you whatever. Let me just completely refigure it because here are 10 other ways it could be. Right. Um how do I fo- how do I figure out what it is? What does it become that it that it is? Because you have to have this real flexibility. Things mm. can and do and must change and that's also exciting. And yet is there a kernel of something that is, we, we have our letter to self, right? Mm. So maybe I should do a letter to self. I mean, that would make sense. That's one of our tools that we recommend. I'm passing it off to people. I'm gonna, so let me reread it and just write myself. What do I love about this? Yeah. Because I will say with the book I'm finishing that I, at some point, like the ending became something and it really honestly was that a lot of other people also loved it, but that helped. But it was like, it became the thing I wasn't changing. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was something that at one point, you know, my agent asked about, you know, about it. And I was like, no, no, it's super important. <laughs> it's the right. It pays off all this stuff in the in the in the thing. And so I kept it. Right. Mm-hmm. So so just kind of getting those touchstones, I guess, is what I guess that's my that's a possible answer. And maybe I won't even settle on what one answer. Maybe I'm just struggling with. How do I move forward fruitfully mm-hmm. from an early, early, early draft? without spending 10 years and doing 758 drafts. Actually, I've only spent like four years, but you know. I don't know. Does that make sense? Does yeah, that work? Yeah, Is that yeah, okay? Totally. Is that allowed? <laughs> totally. I was just thinking about how many years it actually was. Yeah. I, I honestly, I would be very, I don't know if I could, but I'd be sort of curious to try to recreate the whole thing and count the actual drafts. And mm-hmm. I don't know if it's possible. Anyway, it is time for Steal This. Amateur poets borrow. Professional poets steal. What have you come across in your wanderings and readings that you would like to take and make your own? Dun, 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 dun. Uh, well, I I want to dig deeper into this uh, idea of 
the intentional practice. And I, I'll be honest, like I've read a lot about it, I've heard a lot about it, and I haven't quite grokked what it means and how to actually take something you want to learn and break it down in a way that makes it meaningful. For you especially, right? Because I think right. there are different ways for different people. Right. Well, I mean, like, you know, separating it out from something like rapid learning, right? Where you're like, okay, I'm going to learn this well enough. And that's fine. That's mm-hmm. great. Um, and it has its total places. I think really what I want to understand is the exact, like, there's somewhere there's got to be a way that I would think about, like, you know, when I was in high school, for example, our creative writing teacher had us do a boatload of these very targeted exercises that were things like using certain consonant sounds, mm, uh, fun. using um, conveying temperature without using the words of temperature. So there was a lot of stuff that way. Um, you actually love writing exercises. I really do. Right, because there were all those sentence things you did at Mills that you mm-hmm. really loved, mm-hmm. too. Um, so I really like looking at sort of the those pieces. And I think that for a long time, those exercises put me in a situation where I could quickly, I think, come up with what might otherwise seem like an unexpected word pairing yeah right because i had done these very specific things so it'd be interesting and maybe that's what i'll try and do is like break down what are the critical components because ultimately even if you're an amazing technician of writing it's that how are we getting to those things that are meaningful and and accessible because you know you can you can write something but if it's kind of like, okay, I just spent two hours crying over something that's not really that important to me, it's like I've been manipulated, not I've had a powerful, universal story experience. I feel like if you've been crying for two hours, something happened that was real. Okay. I, I you know. Okay. Yeah, you yeah. were touched. You were touched. Touched by a crappy story. Yeah. So, whatever, but right. you know, so what? Okay. All right. Well, struggle away. Okay. Struggle away. Well, I wanted to revisit the Ann Patchett interview, which I did not re-listen to, but I just, I, I listened to our podcast and, um, and I realized there was what I had kind of wanted to say about it, which is that she talks about, she talked about two things kind of in more than once, which was in writing a book, she, there's usually a piece that she wants to explore further and that leads to her next book. So in... Um, whatever came before the Amazon book, State of Wonder, which I've read, I think, but I can't remember now. Whatever. Anyway, she, there was a bit of science. There was like some character who was a scientist or whatever. And she really loved writing about that. And she just knew she wanted to do more. And so she made her main character in State of Wonder a scientist. So so I kind of loved that. It's it's that little like taking a little bit of the, the dough, right? The sourdough starter and reusing it or, you know, a cutting or whatever, right? So from your last project and okay, what is the piece? Because there's always something that you're either dissatisfied with or curious about or feel not done about or whatever. So I kind of just loved that as an idea. So I kind of want to steal that. Like, what did I love that wasn't really a big part of my last project or what did I want more of? And can I give it to myself in another, in a future project? And then kind of conversely, she does do, and I think I've seen a lot of people do this, but she does think, well, what haven't I done? 
right? Like what is a, a way I want to stretch myself? And so she had done first person a couple times, I think early on, and then kind of morphed into third and mobile, mobile third, close third. And felt like that was really where she was and whatever. And, and she ended up doing first person. And I think even then like switching back and forth, but coming back to it and realizing that was a strength of what this book was. And so that was something she was revisiting that was maybe not a, a strength necessarily, but something she wanted to, I mean, I don't know, whatever, you know, I, anyway, so I just, I think I, I discourage people from trying to become a different person with each project in the sense of, not leaning into their passions, strengths, interests, and all of that, because because we are often kind of wish we were somebody else who cared about something else and worked in a different way and all of that. Mm-hmm. And so I discourage people from, you know, disliking those their certain are, those selves. Those are all, though. I think sometimes the, what you're talking about is really more people looking at externals. Mm-hmm. They're not an internal real drive. Right. So when you're talking about Ian Patchett saying, I'm curious about this, that's an internal yeah. drive. Which is very different than... She's a powerfully and, internally driven individual. Yeah. So, that, But I'm just... That's very different yeah. than someone saying, I, you know, the market's doing this or someone I read was doing this and I wanted to try it on because somebody else did it. And it might a little bit be about struggle, mm-hmm. right? Like, okay, where is an interesting edge for me? What's mm-hmm. something new that I want to do that I'm curious about? And what's something I know I love that I learned I love that I want to do more of? And right. I like that pairing. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I want to steal from Ann Patchett. Excellent. Thank you, Ann Patchett. Until next week. Go struggle.